So I want you to imagine this scene. I'm trekking in Dartmoor, which is like the Peak District for the South. I'm trekking in Dartmoor. It's the middle of August, and it is pouring with rain. It's pouring down with rain, and I am in charge of 12, 15, and 16-year-olds, and we're trekking to a campsite. I'm with about five of them. The rest are way off in the distance. I'm with the stragglers. We're walking through a bog. I've got about three of their bags on my back because they're refusing to carry them, and we're trudging, and I'm thinking, when is this going to end? But it's kind of why we were there. It's kind of why we were there. You see, I was there on a program called the National Citizen Service, or NCS, which is designed for social integration. It was designed, as we looked out at fractured society that we live in, to think, how can we bring people together through shared experience? And I had such a beautifully diverse group. Later on, we were sat around the campfire, and we had a girl from a private school in Reading who enjoyed horse riding on her Saturdays. And we had a, a young British-Pakistani guy who had an encyclopedic knowledge of supercars. I had a working class guy from Wickham who's obsessed with football, and there was a dude there from the Philippines who just moved to the UK a few months before. And it was one of the girls who actually said this incredible thing when I asked everyone to reflect on the time we'd spent together, one of the girls whose bags I'd been carrying. She said something beautiful. She stopped and she said, do you know what, yeah? You lot are actually kind of all right. You lot are actually pretty normal. So I'm here to encourage you that you lot are actually all right. And we just have to get close enough to each other to realize it. So as Luke said, my name is Luke. I'm a curate here at STC. My wife, Hannah, and my son, Isaac, and we together are going to be planting a church uh, in about a year or so's time. But today, I'm here to speak to us about Ephesians, to carry on what Ian spoke to us about last week, and to look at a community of reconciliation. So we had a community of hope last week and community of reconciliation this week, sharing the table with one another. And I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 2. If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along, but I'll have it up on the screens as well. So Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22, and Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good stuff, isn't it? Guys, I'm really sorry to be the one to have to tell you this, but you're actually suffering from a condition. All of you, I'm really sorry to be the one to tell you this. Left untreated, it can be pretty bad. It can be pretty destructive. But if you're aware of it, you know, there's space to work on it and it can be much better. And it's not just you that suffers from this. It's actually all of humanity alongside you. And you are suffering with a condition that is called people like me syndrome. You suffer with people like me syndrome. You do, I promise you. And it's this fascinating um, thing about humans that we are drawn to people like us. And loads of studies have been done on this, and I'm going to rattle a few off. There's a guy called Francis Evans who wanted to put this to the test. And he observed door-to-door salespeople, and he observed loads of them over a long period of time. I think they were selling life insurance door-to-door. And he wanted to see who bought from who and check all of the different factors. And you know what he found out? You can probably guess what he found out. We are more likely to buy from people like us. But that didn't just include how we look. It included the political party that we voted for. It includes our tax bracket or our income, our age. And he even found that we are more likely to buy from people the same height as us. True story. So to illustrate this further, I want you to think about your best friend, a really close confidant, someone who you'd phone in a crisis, someone who'd actually pick up the phone if you phoned them in a crisis, you got them in your mind. Now, I'm going to say three things, and if it, the answer is the same for both you and your friend, you put your hand up, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so did you and your friend, did you both either go to university or finish education and do other things? If both of you did the same thing, hands in the air. Okay, lots of hands. Did you both grow up in a flat or a house? Hands up. And were both of your parents born in the same country, whether this one or a different one? Did you know that 90% of non-Muslims in England don't have any friends who are Muslim? Did you know that in this country, if you're a professional, there's less than a 5% chance you're friends with someone who's unemployed? We live in a country where it's possible to hear the sentence said, I can't believe the referendum was so close. I don't know anyone who voted the other way. (laughs) Laugh or cry. (laughs) Uh, This doesn't just affect our country. This is a global issue. And it's something that we see all over the place, that there are divisions in every single culture. And it led the philosopher Rousseau to say, we must explain why everywhere societies are born together but have come apart. Which is good news for us to be reading Paul, because Paul speaks exactly to this issue in Ephesians 2. He speaks about a community of reconciliation. He's speaking to a culture that's super diverse, loads of religions represented, loads of cultures in Ephesus. And he preached to the synagogue in Ephesus, so there's a big contingent of Jewish followers in the church. And then he preached in the city, and there's all kinds of other people in the church. And it's led to a division, which he speaks into. 
So we're going to circle back round to the first three verses. In verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now... He says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul does two things here. The first thing he does is he acknowledges the cause of division. He acknowledges the cause of division, and then he highlights the root of our unity. So the cause of our division, in verse 12, he talks about Gentiles being seen as foreigners, being seen as other, being seen as distant. And then secondly, he talks about unity in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when we think about this for us, right, I want to propose to us that the root of our division is people like me syndrome. Um, And I want to propose that our root of our unity is that Jesus brings us together. So people like me syndrome, this is sometimes quite subtle, And it's sometimes tragically obvious. So I play football in Sheffield, in a Sheffield league, and far too often we line up against a team of 11 white faces. And on the bench, they've got guys from other ethnicities uh, who are on the bench, and they'll come on and they'll be the best player on the team. Sometimes it's obvious. We've already prayed about um, George Floyd. We've prayed about Stephen Lawrence. That this is the 30th year after Stephen Lawrence's racially um, motivated murder that led to just a series of tragic failings institutionally that just pointed at the glaring racism that still is existing in this country. And you don't need to watch the news for long to see how obvious that still is. Just last week, there was a racial attack in Surrey outside of a school where uh, a young black student was attacked as teachers watched on. But the good news is there is unity that Jesus brings us together. And Jesus, through the Bible, teaches us that the issue is not our difference. Our difference is to be celebrated. The issue is our distance. It's not our difference. It's our distance that is the issue, which is why Jesus' invitation is so beautiful, that though we were far away, he brings us near by his blood. And you'll be pleased to hear that social scientists agree that it's, it's been found again and again that to heal division, it simply requires proximity, shared experience, the common life. And that's exactly why I was on a course. I was on the Dartmoor, covered in uh, wet, soaking wet with all these guys trudging through the fields. And if you want to like, read more about um, human division and the social science side of things, there's this book called Fractured by John Yates. And it's so interesting that it really goes through all of the kind of the science of it and the evidence for our division across the globe. But the other good news for us is that Jesus is not just a sociologist and he isn't just gathering us around a shared experience. There's something else at play here. So if we read on starting at verse 14, Paul will tell us what it is. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, the Jew and the Gentile, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to you who were near, and through him both have access to the Father through the Spirit. You see, Paul here is talking about the fact that it's not just bringing us into the same room that's going to bring peace, but it's what he did on the cross. The good news, if we go to the next slide, James, is that Jesus has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, that cloudy pane of glass that kind of blocks our view of seeing things clearly. I love the Reformation theologian Martin Luther's definition of sin. He talks about sin being a life turned in on itself, a life turned inwards. And I believe that hostility, that the root of this hostility, this people-like-me syndrome, it comes from sin. It comes from that inward-facing life that, that we're so concerned about being our own God, just like Adam and Eve set the, set the tone, didn't they, when they wanted to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God, just like them. We want to be in control. We want to be like God. We want to be safe, and we gravitate to people that make us feel safe who look like us. And anyone who comes to disrupt that, anyone who comes to take away our control or our feeling of safety, then we're hostile to them because of our sinful, inward-looking nature. And this is so destructive, and it grieves God's heart so much. And I want to just invite us to think about this question. Where have you seen the dividing wall of hostility in your life? Where have you seen the dividing wall of hostility in the church? And where have you seen it in society more widely. I just want to encourage you to pause and invite the Holy Spirit to come and stir our hearts. Where have you seen that at play? Is there something you need to repent of? Is there some hurt or trauma that's just under the surface that the Lord needs to minister to today? And are there institutional failings that grieve your spirit that God might be calling you to speak into, to pray against, to stand up against? But again, there's good news. And the good news, as Paul says, is that Jesus on the cross... He took our sin, he took our shame, he takes our pride, and he reverses the direction of travel. He turns our lives outward. He turns our lives back towards God, and he breaks through the hostility, the wall of hostility, shatters the cloudy glass so that we can see. And I believe that when we truly grasp what Jesus has done, when we enter into that reality of what Jesus has done for us, then people like me syndrome takes on a whole new meaning. That we don't just see people who are different to us or people who are the same as us, but we see people who are saved by grace, who are loved by the Father, who just wants to see them close to him who are just suffering from uh, the sin and shame and pride uh, that sin brings, but that God loves them. That's the people like me syndrome that Jesus offers us. 
And as we've already seen, the distance is removed because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we can stand shoulder to shoulder together and we can begin to reflect and show a foretaste of what John describes is going to happen in the new kingdom. That we are going to see every tribe, every nation, every tongue and language standing before the throne, before the lamb dressed in white with palm branches in our hands. So what would it look like if we truly took hold of this vision? What would we see here at STC and beyond? What would God change in your day-to-day existence? I believe that as a church, we would start to see the crossing of racial, social, educational, financial, vocational divides. That we would see reconciliation and unity across our communities, our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods. I believe that we would start to see diversity around our dinner tables. We would have other people around who don't quite fit in the same bracket as us, around our table, sharing life, sharing food. And I believe that our friendship circles would be expanded, that we wouldn't mind about where people come from, that we'd see the unemployed, people who aren't as educated as you, people who aren't in the same financial bracket as you, sharing their experience with you. And I could talk more about that, but Paul says it much better than I do. So this is Paul's vision here. Verse 19, he goes on to say, Because of this, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And this is the culmination of Paul's beautiful vision for the church. That we are brought near to one another, that the distance is destroyed, that hostility is broken. And then that we become family is the last thing that he says. We become a family built together to become a dwelling by which God lives in his spirit. We are family. (laughs) I got all my sisters with me. I don't know what it's like when your family get together. But when my family get together, within about 20 minutes, there's always at least two people who haven't got their way with something. (laughs) And uh, there's a constant crossroads, isn't there, when you're in that space, right? You can choose to sulk or you can choose to get on with it. I don't know if there's any sulkers in the house. You don't need to put your hand up. Um, But for family to function, that's the crossroads that we have to face, right? That, That you have to choose love that we're all in the same space together, and when the distance is removed, it becomes difficult. You know, we've put distance in place to protect ourselves because it's hard when we're close together. And I believe that this is maybe one of the things that Jesus was getting at when he said to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. There's a daily choice in family life to love the the people around you, to make those sacrifices. And when we truly get hold of that, then Paul's vision for humanity, you know, it's it's beautiful. And it's so simple, isn't it, Um, what Paul has said. We all need to get together and love each other and it'll be great. 
If it's so simple, then why did the church, why can't we do it as a church? Why can't we do it as a society? Why do we not see that nationally or globally? And I think it's because it's a daily choice and it's difficult. But Jesus is with us and his love that goes beyond reason to deny himself for us is given to us that we can do the same for the people around us. And I just had this thought as I was writing this and praying about it. What if STC could become a cathedral of unity? A space where people don't see the distance between people who are different from them. Where people see sisters and brothers in Christ. Rescued from their own hostility and pride and welcomed into the family of God. What if we were to become a community of divine welcome? Unified by one thing, by one person, Jesus Christ. On the 29th of January at the Sheffield Cathedral, there was an incredible worship night where loads and loads of different churches gathered together to worship Jesus. And I was fortunate enough to be involved in the team that kind of put that together. And through all of our meetings, we were saying to each other, this has to be about him. This has to be about Jesus. Like, there's so many things we could do when we're gathering these kinds of people from all over the world. All we want to do is look at Jesus and gather around him and worship his name. And as we did that, as we stood shoulder to shoulder, as we gathered around the table and shared communion, looking at him, something beautiful happened. And I think Paul describes what that was in verse 22, that a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit started to form. And the sense of his presence was truly tangible. You see, when we gather together, we've got a lot more than just a campfire to bring us together. We share the same table, the table that represents redemption through Christ, who has brought those who were far away near, who has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, and who welcomes us to one family. We are welcomed into this shared story that all of us together are orphans, welcomed into a family of God by a father so loving that he's willing to cross the divide between heaven and earth to come and get you. And he'd do it again, and he'd do it again, no matter how far you run or how hard you push away. <laughs>